This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Really excited. Big show today with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode that's bound to be incredibly contentious. Elon has warned me ahead of time. I actually warned him that we're going to spar over Kim Talbot this episode. And then he's like, well, there are a few more things that uh, that he's got a problem with about what I have to say. So I can't wait to find out what they are. And before we start, Elon, we're presented by Dabber Hockey. Of course, Dabber Hockey, the best fantasy hockey website out there, which is uh, pretty good to be uh, presented by the best fantasy hockey website out there. We're the best fantasy hockey podcast out there. Hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. But yeah, Dabber Hockey is fantastic. I hope you guys have all been checking it out. Like every day, they have articles every day, rankings, and looking at different players whenever there's any moves. There's updates there. But definitely now that the season's underway, you got to use their tools. You, know, you got goalie post, getting you all the starting goalies every single day, line combinations. I like looking at the real time line combinations in between games, and so much more. It's a fantastic site. You have to check it out, DabberHockey.com. One thing that I use frequently to prepare for these episodes is their frozen pool player profiles. Like sometimes, you know, you have to go, this place is the easiest way to find a player's shots on goal or point totals. And this place is the best place to go for blocks, but you have to go somewhere else for hits. The frozen pool player profiles pull all of that together. It's a really handy tool. I swear I've used it for this episode. I use it for all our episodes and you can use it to a very easy layout of all like the fantasy questions you have about a player all the stats and information you need to answer those questions available on one page on those player profiles. I'm going a little long on this, Elon, because I truly, (laughs) this is a tip. This is beyond an endorsement of Dabra Hockey because, you know, we we were presented by them and we're very happy about that. This is a fantasy hockey tip for everybody listening. Use them. They're helpful. Yeah. I mean, especially because you could see like the game log and you see what they did every game. Plus what were their recent line combinations for the player? Yeah. There's a lot of information there. I like it. Brian, let's get down to our content. So much, like I said, to talk about this week. Let's start with the first fantasy hockey headline of the week. Got to talk about some outjuries and namely the outjury of maybe the best player in the league, arguably Sidney Crosby. Back from his concussion, we had some concerns that maybe he'd be out for months. Like we really had no idea when we found out he was going to miss the start of the season. It was such a bummer. People were wondering, oh, is it time to get rid of him or trade him in a keeper league? Like how much does this hurt his long-term value? But hey, did you get him a bit later in your draft? Did you get him for a bit cheaper? Hopefully you did. He's been fantastic. Three games so far, 
four goals, one assist, 13 shots, three power play points, like just everything you'd expect from Sidney Crosby and more. If he could keep this up, I'm sure he'll, well, I don't know. It's gonna be tough to catch Connor McDavid because he's been pretty amazing himself, but he should definitely at least keep pace. And yeah, finally, we're starting to see what the lines will be. Unfortunately, Connor Sheary is still out. So we've been seeing Crosby with Hornquist and Scott Wilson. So first of all, Hornquist is definitely benefiting from this. He has six points in his last five games. But Scott Wilson, he has four points in his last five games. So definitely a lot of people benefiting from playing with Sidney Crosby. Does Scott Wilson have value now that he's playing with the kid? Good one. Who's the real kid here, though? Sidney Crosby or Scott Wilson? Actually, spoiler, it's neither. Scott Wilson is like no spring chicken. He was drafted back in 2011 with the third last pick of the draft, seventh round. 209th overall. Interesting, Elon. We're going to get on tangent right away. Guess who was drafted 208th overall in 2011? It was Andre Palat. And actually, more names from the last 20 picks are all getting noticed recently. You have Yerky Okipaka on Calgary, a bottom pairing guy, whatever. Uh, Tyler Gryovac scored his first NHL goal in his season debut for Minnesota last night. And a guy we're going to talk about later on the show, Elon, sends forward Ryan Dezingle. Huh was drafted in the last 20 picks of that 2011 entry draft, a really fruitful seventh round. Anyway, back to Scott Wilson. We did talk about him earlier in this year when Crosby got injured as someone who might get to benefit and get to play with Malkin. Uh, And he's played with Hornquist for most of the year, and now they both get to play together with Crosby. And, I mean, that's all there is to say about it. It's good news. He's two very good line mates. You know, he's already batted around as an option earlier this year as somebody who could step up uh, into a wing position on the top six. So this isn't a new idea. They've had it before, and it seems to be working so far, which is a really nice sign. Uh, An interesting side note, though, Elon, and I wonder if this is something that the Penguins might try to correct. Uh, That line, the Crosby-Hornquist-Wilson line last night, was just obliterated in shot attempt numbers from uh, the Penguins game against Philadelphia and so I wonder if maybe that's identified as a spot of weakness or it was just like the whole team was kind of brutal. But like Crosby usually does not end up on the wrong side of that sort of thing. And he did that night against Philly. Yeah, well, one game, obviously, super small sample size. You can't get any smaller. So I'm sure it'll be okay. Maybe something to watch. Who knows? Maybe they'll shake up that line. Don't forget, that is probably Connor Sheary's spot. So if you're going to grab Scott Wilson, this is like for a couple of games, basically, until Connor Sheary comes back. Obviously, he's not going to stay there long term. Brian, some other people, you know, that are still maybe worth paying attention to in Pittsburgh. Justin Schultz has still been on that top power play because Chris Letang is out. Though I hear Chris Letang might be coming back. So if you picked up Justin Schultz, you were A, probably disappointed because he didn't do much, even though he was on the top power play and also we're really hoping to see Latang back next week so it's definitely time to drop him and I guess since we're on Pittsburgh gotta mention Malkin and Kessel who've been on the second line together with Chris Kunitz they've been pretty amazing also like this Pittsburgh team now they're starting to look like the Stanley Cup winning team and actually Matt Murray is going to be back next week so everything is starting to come together but yeah like Phil Kessel has seven points on the power play this season nine points in how many games are I guess like seven games or, or eight games Malkin has 10 points so far so he's doing amazing everyone's always worried every year about drafting Malkin because they know he's going to get injured but this is why you draft him he gets you so many points while he's playing Brian any concerns about Phil Kessel having seven power play points out of his nine points I know sometimes you say that you maybe don't want to trust the guys who are getting all their points on the power play because that's more likely to dry up I don't think that's exactly what I say I think I say that even strength production is the most reliable production like there are anomalies that can happen on the power play but that's the power play like you have better opportunities to score so you could see spikes. I don't see this huge proportion of goals for Kessel uh, worrying me at all. Um, you're right that I appreciate even strength points, and that actually benefits. 
Kessel. Like, even if I was, like, concerned, Kessel, he ranks 14th over the last three years. Since 2013-14, he ranks 14th amongst all NHL forwards and even strength points scored. And this year, it's it's not just Kessel having difficulty scoring at even strength. Pittsburgh as a team is ranked tied for 19th in the league in even strength goals so far. Just 11 five-on-five goals in their eight games played. They actually have a negative goal differential at even strength, too. They've given up four more than they've scored. Uh, but they actually lead the entire NHL in even strength shots for, so it's not something I'm worried about lasting. Even strength points for everyone are going to come. That's good. And the power play is clearly clicking. What an amazing power play. And soon they're going to add Chris Letang back to it, so it'll get even more potent. Okay, I'll give the actual number since I missed it before. Nine games played so far for Malkin, Kessel, and Horkvist, and they've got 10, 9, and 8 points. So just an amazing season. Like I said, Crosby starting to catch up already. But Brian, I did mention Matt Murray's coming back. So what does this mean? Like now we were worried about this going into the season that we were going to have to talk about for a long time. Flurry versus Murray. Who's number one? Are they splitting time? And now we're finally going to find out or get some more information. Flurry has not been great to start the season. A 909 save percentage in nine games played. That is below what's usually the league average. Do you think that this is going to lead to Matt Murray potentially having a chance to steal starts and at least get 50% of the starts, if not more? So I don't know, like, I don't know much more than I did at the start of the season about how Murray and Fleury will be split. Now that it's actually coming to pass, we'll see. I mean, you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, he's been a workhorse so far. Him, Kem Talbot, and Sergei Bobrovsky are the only goalies to have started every single one of their team's games so far. And Bobrovsky, by the way, the only one to have played every single minute for his team so far this season. But back to Marc-Andre Fleury, who's played all but, like, 27 minutes that Mike Condon filled in for. First off, you look at the save percentage. Look, no goalie has been great this year. The league average save percentage through two and a half weeks sits at 9-10. I know, I know, we're going to get to Cam Talbot. We're going to get to those guys. But just keep in mind, like if you're looking for league average, Flurry is league average so far this season through the first two and a half weeks. And I expect his save percentage to rise as well as the rest of the leagues. I, I think it's still Flurry's job. He's won six out of nine starts, even though only four of his nine starts have been quality ones. But I think the door is at least open for Murray to at least get the Vasilevsky treatment in Tampa. So like a game every week. And then unlike Vasilevsky, I think if Murray is outplaying Flurry, I don't think that there's a ton of rope for Flurry to keep his starts just based on his laurels. I think the tide can turn fairly quickly. So if you're a Flurry owner, this could be your last chance to try and acquire Murray uh, and get that Pittsburgh cuff quickly. And man, I hope they get traded soon because Murray and Flurry just rhyme too well to say this often together. Yeah, well, I mean, we thought maybe with Murray injured, this would be Flurry's chance to really establish himself. And, you know, he hasn't done that. Like you say, obviously it's early and a lot of goalies have been struggling a lot more than Marc-Andre Fleury. So it hasn't been horrible. But yeah, definitely now it looks like Murray's going to get a chance to earn his starts. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to watch. I know you'd rather it get settled so that we don't have to talk about it every week. But hey, it's good to have content. But we have so much content. So let's move on from Pittsburgh. Let's go to Colorado. Another outchery, I guess, because he's back from his conditioning stint and finally started the season, Miko Ranson. And a lot of people were excited about him to start the season. As we expected, he jumped right into the top six, playing with Nathan McKinnon and Grigor Renko. And he's also been seeing over 50% of his team's power play time. So that's the good news. Seems to be in a good position. The bad news, it's been two games, no points. So, I don't know, four shots on goal. I guess that's okay. I mean, obviously, no points in two games. You don't want to get too crazy. But I'm curious to know, Brian, like, how valuable 
is Miko Ranson because when the news came out that he was going to be coming back, a lot of people seemed to be like, oh, should I drop this guy for Ranson? Should I drop this guy for Ranson? And I just felt like people were getting maybe too excited about someone who, you know, is new to the league, isn't like a first overall pick or anything. And yeah, he's in the top six, but so have a lot of other guys that haven't really been doing so much like a Soderberg or someone like that, who's by the way, bumped down. So if you did have Soderberg, now's the time to drop him. But yeah, what's your thoughts on Rantanen? How viable is this guy? Should people be dropping established players to get him? Or is he just someone to watch in free agency? And if he heats up, pick him up then. Well, first off, he wasn't first overall in the draft, but he was picked 10th overall. He was the seventh forward picked in 2015 in the same draft year that uh, that's the year McDavid went first and Eichel went second. So those two spots were, were out of the question already. So not too bad if you consider the rest of the pack. And I think people are excited about what he's done in his career so far in San Antonio. Last year in the AHL, he had 60 points in 52 games in his first season in North America as like I'm trying to do the math quickly here. As a 19-year-old, he just turned 20 yesterday. Happy belated birthday, Miko Rantanen. <laughs> uh, this year, though, uh, he started with his conditioning stint in the AHL, two assists. Um, and like you said, Elon, in the NHL, nothing really worth noticing in his first couple games. Uh, he's 6'3", 212 pounds. Uh, he's a big guy with skill, uh, doesn't use his body a ton, more of a playmaker than a shooter. And I guess, like, I think at this point you need to give him some time. A half point per game would be nice from him in his rookie season. Whether you want to rush to grab him right now really depends on how deep your league is and if it's a keeper. If it's a keeper, you probably want him if he's available. I think he's going to be a good player in the future this year, especially if he stays with Nathan McKinnon. I think he's got a great shot for 45 or 50 if he turns out to have the skill needed. But I see a lot of people tripping over themselves to add him and like tossing away guys who you know are going to get 50 or even 55 points so they can have the young, exciting rookie on their team. I'm not sure that that's a move worth making. Right. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, sometimes I guess these guys get a premium. And if you're in a keeper league, also you have to think of how many keepers there are. If you're in a keep five, don't worry about him. You're not going to be keeping him in your top five. A guy who Brian thinks is going to maybe be good for a half point per game, maybe 50 points. I feel like people still pay a premium, even in not a keeper league, just because it's exciting to have the new guy who you don't know what you're going to get, as opposed to someone who's reliable. You know, you like a Brassard who hasn't been amazing this season, but we know for sure he's going to end up with more than 50 points. So do you drop Brassard for Ranson? I don't think so. But anyway, there you go. That's your scouting report. Brian, let's move on now to Philadelphia. I actually wanted to talk about some defensemen who are back. Well, one defenseman in particular, Radko Gudas, he's not back from an injury, but he is back from that six-game suspension that he had to start the season. And you know what? As expected, he's been putting up his share of hits and blocks, which is why you have him in your league. It's why anyone even talks about Radko Gudas in fantasy. In four games now, he has 14 hits and five blocks. Five blocks, actually, not that great in four games, but definitely the 14 hits are great. But the thing that's surprising me and maybe surprising a lot of people is he's got a goal and two assists. He had two assists two games ago, then a goal today. So what's up? Is this just an illusion? Is this just something that we wouldn't expect from Radko Gudis to keep up? Or is there something new happening in his game? He's also been playing like 20 minutes a game, which is really good for someone who's sort of like a banger or someone who's there to just kind of hurt people and get suspended. What's going on with this Radko Gudis offensive hot streak? Something that's often overlooked with Radko Kudas is the fact that he gets so many shots on goal. Like if you look at his shot taking rates, shots on goal rates per 60 minutes amongst all defensemen with more than 750 minutes played last season, Gudas ranked third at even strength 
again, in shots on goal for 60 minutes behind only Brent Burns and Tori Krug, who's actually second overall in shot attempts and unblocked shot attempts for 60 minutes. And a couple other interesting names up there while I'm at it. Boychuk and Muzzin, also in that top five area in even strength shooting. But Gudas is the one you'd probably expect to hear the least. He's there. And that's the reason why he gets to go on these little spurts every so often. He had them last season. He's going to have them this season. His first one has been very impressive. I don't expect it to last. I don't think he's suddenly transformed into this brand new offensive defenseman type. He's averaging the same number of minutes last year, uh, pretty much. And, you know, he's playing time with Philadelphia's top forwards, which he also did last year. Like, that's not a change. Some of his most commonly paired forwards last year were Giroux and Voracek and Shen, and that's going to happen again this year. Uh, So, you know, he's on the ice with good players who are scoring goals. So I suppose he's going to get some points and yeah, he takes a lot of shots. Maybe not the offensive sinkhole you thought he was with all those hits and blocks that he puts up for you, which is usually all that you're focused on. Yeah, so if you're in a league that counts, especially hits, a little bit blocks, but like if, especially if you're in a league that counts hits, you want to look at Radko Gudas if you don't have him. He seems to be known now. He's a known fantasy entity. But maybe if you're new to fantasy hockey, take a look at this guy. It's always great to have someone that could provide you in your peripheral categories and maybe give you offense sometimes. But you know, he's not the only defenseman on Philadelphia who's putting up both points and peripherals that I would have expected. Here's a guy I don't even think I knew that this guy was on Philadelphia or even knew who he was going into the season. Brandon Manning. Brian, you're going to have to help me out with this because this guy, Brandon Manning he actually has seven points in 10 games on the season for Philadelphia as a defenseman not even playing 20 minutes a game plus he has 27 hits and 13 blocks so it's actually like kind of better peripherals at least for blocks than Gudas and now actually now they're doing the math maybe it's about the same pace for hits and blocks but also points like who's this guy like is it even worth asking who you would want more it's kind of like talking about two kind of people you wouldn't expect to talk about on a fancy hockey podcast about Gudas versus Manning I'm curious to get your thoughts well for the aforementioned reasons like shots on goal and consistent hits and blocks production like peripheral help uh, it's absolutely good ass uh, manning is actually the same age he's a 26 year old undrafted uh, defenseman playing bottom pairing minutes although minutes are distributed pretty evenly across all 6d in philly ghost bear is the only one averaging more than 17 minutes there pro rob is the only one averaging less than 16 minutes everyone else is in that 16 to 17 minute range um, manning's actually been in the flyer system since 2011, 2012. So he's been bouncing around for a while before getting his shot last year where he played 56 games, had some penalty minutes, a couple hits, some blocks, some shots, uh, a goal and six assists all of last year in those 56 games already has, well, I think with tonight's, I think he scored tonight, Elon, a a shorthanded goal perhaps. Uh, So he's actually matched last year's 56 game total in his first 10 games this year he's also blocking at a slightly higher pace than he was last year but again uh last year it seemed like he would get maybe two hits per game maybe a block per game uh penalty here and there so if you're looking for peripherals he's still not uh, that golden goose that you might be trying to find in free agency i would still for sure go with radko gudas and my answer about his offense is the same um philadelphia is doing well they're scoring at a really nice rate. And their defensemen, again, are spread pretty evenly to play with 
everybody seems to get some time with the top six, top nine guys. So they'll get some points by virtue of that. But Brandon Manning is not going to start producing offense consistently. Okay. Well, yeah. So definitely people to keep on your watches in a deep league if you need a defense and maybe for the short term. Both of them currently putting on offense, but you're right. Probably they'll slow down a bit as a team putting up offense and that will hurt their production there. But hey, peripherals are always good. But okay, next, Outchery. So yeah, it's been a nice week. We've had a lot of players coming back. Here's a guy who normally we wouldn't talk about at this point because maybe it's kind of boring. But Yori Laterra is back from a concussion as well. And you know, like, same old Laterra in his first couple of games back. He had only one assist. Nothing too special. It's his only assist on the season in five games played. But the reason why I find this interesting is this caused some line shakeups. And actually, St. Louis ended up reuniting the STL line of Schwartz, Tarasenko, and Laterra, but with a twist because it's Schwartz playing center, Laterra on the wing, which is very nice for Schwartz owners because that gives him dual eligibility in a lot of leagues. Yahoo already added it, which is very nice. And Schwartz scored the only goal yesterday against LA. So that just increases his value. And also I find this interesting because originally we expected once Laterra came back, it was looking like David Perron would be bumped back to line three. And if you remember last week, we were talking about Perron as someone playing with Tarasenko as someone to look at in free agency. But then we saw he was going to get bumped. I was like, ah, forget it. We shouldn't have even talked about Perron. I forgot about Laterra coming back. But actually now it's been Robbie Fabry moving to line three in the last game, playing with Yakupov and Berglund. And Perron went up to play with Paul Stasny and Alex Steen. So it seems like there's been a lot of shuffling in St. Louis. Maybe the main takeaway here is don't drop these guys so quickly when you see line changes. Or don't add someone so quickly when you see line changes like that. But yeah, I guess good for Perron, good for Schwartz, <laughs> bad for Robbie Fabry. So Brian, like, would you drop Robbie Fabry at this point? He only has three assists in nine games played, even though it's a contradicting what I just said. But now he's on the third line. Doesn't seem like he's really someone worth holding if you're in a league with exciting free agents. Well, first off, you can't bore me faster than you can by asking me a question about Yori Laterra. It is just so predictable. He's going to play with good players. He's not going to do a whole lot. He's going to have a little burst here, a little burst there. Uh, but not much really to work with overall, like to keep him fancy relevant on your roster for most of the year. Going on to Robbie Fabry, the interesting thing about St. Louis is that, Elon, you mentioned their lines are being shuffled and they're winning, like they're 5-2-2. Two, and two. So they're shuffling even when they're winning and things are going okay, which leads me to think that this is going to be a blunder for a while. Just a little piece moving here, a little piece moving there. It's almost like Fabry this year is getting last year's Paul Stasny edit when he couldn't stay on one line long enough to become a relevant fantasy producer. Then so for Fabry, you know, you look at him, his ice time has been all over the place. It started at 14 minutes, peaked at 19. Now it's back down to 13. And uh, I think he's going to essentially be one of those guys at the top of your free agent pile that you might want to grab when the Blues have a good week coming up or when you notice that he is going to be in the top six for a game or two. But he's putting up zeros in the shots on goal column every other game and belongs outside of the top six in St. Louis based on the shot attempt numbers so far. So I think you can probably let him be. All right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously it depends how deep your league is, but if it's not that deep, and even if it is a little bit deep, I think you could probably drop Fabry for now. Watch him, of course, go off next week and make us look dumb. Like that sometimes happens to us, but I think he's okay to drop Brian. So maybe let's keep a tally going like we did last week. So far, we talked about Rantanen, who I think is kind of similar. Who would you like between the two, between Rantanen and Fabry? Uh, I was going to say Fabry so quickly, but if Rantanen keeps playing with McKinnon and getting opportunities, like if they want Rantanen to succeed, then I'm into Rantanen. I think Colorado is going to be a little more offensively inclined than St. Louis this year. All right, so so far Rantanen's on top of these guys. Maybe here's another guy that might challenge. Let's not forget about him, Pavel Buknevich. I know I already struggled with this in the first episode, and then now I still haven't learned, but he's back 
from a back injury. And he's someone who we were excited about at the start of the year and then very quickly got injured. But he was on the top six playing with Kreider and I think it was Zibanejad. But now Kreider's injured. And so the line has been Zuccarello and Zibanejad playing with Buknevich at least in his first game back. And hey, he had an assist. He actually has two assists in three games now on the season. He also got power play minutes with the Zs. The Zs, I mean, Zuccarello and Zibanejad. It's pretty rare to have a line with two players whose names end with Z. Can you guys think of any others? Anyway, Buk. Nevich is probably the one that's available. I don't think you'll see Zibanejad or Zuccarello in free agency. He's also been getting top power play minutes. And when I say has been, I'm talking about <laughs> Rangers last game. But Puri and McDonough were there filling out that power play. I guess they're about 50-50. The other unit with Stepan and Nash was on for around the same amount of time. But yeah, expect another shakeup when Kreider returns. Though maybe Buknevich will still stay and like Vesey or Nash will be bumped from line one with Stepan. So I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. But Brian, at this point... What do you think about Pavel Buknevich? Should people? I think he should at least be on your watch list. He's not someone to just ignore. And I'm curious to get your thoughts out to put him against Rantanen. Watch list seems like the right place for him. And I need to thank uh, somebody who tweeted us. I don't, sorry, I don't have your username. But last episode when we butchered his name, someone sent us a very good pronunciation key for him. And I'm going to try Pavel Buknevich. Is, uh, uh, is how I'm going to try and call him, although it takes me a long time to really get that out. He saw season high, 17 minutes and 40 seconds of ice in his return. And the interesting thing is that uh, he's not a big shooter so far. And that's funny because the scouting report praises his fantastic shot, but maybe there just hasn't been the right opportunity for him to show that off yet because in that first stint before he got injured and taken out of the lineup, Zibanejad and Kreider were his line mates and they were just relentlessly launching pucks at the net. So maybe there just weren't enough shots to go around for him to get to. Your guess is as good as mine for how the Rangers lines are going to come together. Their top six is bursting at the seams. They have great depth for their top nine. I think immediately, this is probably bad news for JT Miller, who was seeing a little more of a role with Buchnevich out. And I also, at the same time, want to give credit to Jimmy Vesey, who's holding his own so far possession-wise in that top six, also has one of the better sets of expected goals numbers amongst Rangers forwards. He's looking like he was probably worth, I mean, there was no doubt, I guess, about whether he was worth adding to your roster. The question was, is he going to score like 50 or 60 points? And I still don't believe he is. I just uh, am praising him for playing his role very well. I'm not saying go out and add him to your team. All right. So now that we've got Rantanen, Bushnevich, and VC of the three, who should people add if they could only grab one? And they're, they're dropping Robbie Fabri. We've decided you're already dropping Fabri for Rantanen or someone else. Who is it so far? I'm still going with Rantanen as my top free agent ad of the week so far. His upside is better than the upside right now of Fabri and Bushnevich. And VC, I guess. And well, VC, I just threw him out. I, all I said was he's doing a good job at what he's doing, which is not going to be scoring a lot of goals, like not fancy relevant stuff. You know, I, at the start of the year, I anticipated maybe him playing in the bottom six, which would leave another spot open for, you know, another like Buchnevich or whoever to step up into the top six. But he's he's earning the spot he's gotten so far, even though he's not going to become a scoring wizard. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, so this next guy, I didn't even want to talk about. I didn't even have him in the outline for the episode. Then you you messaged me saying, hey, why didn't you put Yuri Hudlu there as someone who's back from injury? And I responded to you saying, Jan, if we were talking about boring people, here's someone that bores me, Yuri Hudlu, because he's been (laughs) totally irrelevant. He played two games for Dallas to start the season. No points, no shots, just nothing. Even though he was in the top six, I guess it was on the second line. He comes back yesterday against Minnesota. 
Again, no points, no shots. I guess no one on Dallas had any points because they got shut out. Great job by Devin Dubnik. We'll definitely have to talk about him. We're ranking goalies so far. But yeah, Brian, do you have anything that you want to say about Yuri Hoodler? To me, it's like put him at the bottom of all of these guys we've talked about. I am over him. Maybe he'll get a point here or there. But to me, he's like Hemsky at this point. You know, even if he gets to the top line on Dallas, I don't really care. I don't expect much to happen. He doesn't take many shots on goal. Obviously, he had that great run in Calgary. But it seems to me, until proven otherwise, at least, over it. I think that's fair, especially, you know, he went to Florida at the end of last year and had a little spurt here and there, but didn't do a lot consistently. I think it's okay to wait and see if he's on that top line. I don't see much reason to leave him alone. Like in that case, I'd prefer him over Rantanen, but in any other situation, not especially, even though you know how much I love anybody who plays with Jason Spezza. But I see where you're coming from on Hoodler. I think patience has worn thin for a lot of people. In fact, I drafted him in one league and dropped him and I'm not picking him back up now that he's healthy. Yeah, that's fair. And a lot of Dallas is struggling right now. Like Sagan has seven points in eight games. Then there's Devin Shore somehow with six points in eight games. If you could tell us something quickly about Devin Shore, Jamie Ben with four points. So actually, Jamie Ben struggling to start this year. Only four points in eight games. I wonder if he's a good buy low. I'm not worried about him. I'm not even going to ask you about Jamie Ben. You want to give us a quick rundown on Devin Shore? I think you mentioned that you wanted to talk about him this week. Yeah, I did. We were going to get to him later, but why not now? Late second round pick in 2012 uh, of the Stars. He finished college two years ago. He's in his second full pro season this year. He only had 23 games last year, though, with the Texas Stars of the AHL. Got in three games with Dallas last year. And actually, I think this year, he only got to start the season in Dallas because of the injuries they're facing. And sure enough, he promptly picked up six points, a goal and five assists in his first six games. He even had a turn, like a spike in his fancy value, when he was the fourth forward, along with Ben Sagan and Spezza, on the first power play unit. With the Stars, he's still seeing power play two minutes right now. Unfortunately, not power play one minutes anymore. Uh, But, you know, he's just worth mentioning as a rookie who had a really strong start, six points in six games, but it happened very far from the spotlights that are fixed upon Patrick Liney and Austin Matthews. So nobody really heard about it. Now you've heard of it, but I'm assuming we're not picking him up. We still want Rantanen, the best of everyone. We're not going to be bumping him for Devin Shore. No, but like I said, maybe first line Yuri Hoodler. Okay, Ah, no. Because also the thing with first line Yuri Hoodler is he's just going to get bumped after one game. At least Ranton is going to stay in the top six, it looks like. At least I think he has a better chance to. This Dallas situation, by the way, is so crazy. They haven't been scoring goals that much. And anyways, if you want the update, currently the person playing with Sagan and Ben is, drumroll, Patrick Eves. Back from injury, went back to the top line. Sure, Spezza playing with Roussel and Faxa. Oh my gosh. Like when you have Patrick Sharp injured, all of a sudden Dallas looks very, very shallow. I don't think this is like the for sure uh, cup contender or playoff team that a lot of people thought they would be, especially since their goaltending isn't that great. Brian, I don't even want to talk about this team anymore. Oh, except maybe Klingberg. People are really worried about Klingberg and messaging us all the time. Have you changed your opinion on if Klingberg is a snoozer? Like, I mean, obviously you don't want to drop him, but people are wondering if they should trade him for guys who going into the season, you'd be crazy to consider trading Klingberg for. Are you sort of going to be a, eh, don't worry about him. He'll be fine again. Yes. All right, we'll do that. I think there's going to be a lot of players that you're going to say that about. I don't disagree with you about Klingberg just because he has no one else really to challenge him for that top spot. So once they get scoring, he will too. And a team with Ben and Sagan's good to get scoring at some point. All right. There was our first fantasy hockey headline of the week. Outjuries, let's go to the second one, injuries. So here we go. Before we get to our big debate about Cam Talbot, we have to tease it. because And it might not even be that big, so we're probably overblowing it. But let's go to injuries first. One really big one is Zach Parisi is apparently out week to week with a lower body injury. Here we go again. I guess when you drafted Zach Parisi, like you knew this was coming. You weren't going to have a full healthy season out of him. He had been doing okay. 
so far to start the year. And, you know, I'm sure you were happy having drafted him, but this is part of the process, I guess, of being a Zach Parisi owner. And so now the lines obviously get shaken up in Minnesota. We're seeing Koivu with Palmonville and Granlin for line one, and then Eric Stahl with Charlie Coyle and Erickson Eck. So another one of these guys who maybe I hadn't heard of going in to this season or didn't know much about. So we're going to have to get your thoughts on him because he's actually been not too bad. Joel Erickson Eck, five points in five games played. I mean, this is in his last five games played. Or maybe he's only played five games this season. Actually, I think that's what it is. That's obviously very impressive for him. And everyone else, like, I'm curious to know, actually, with Parisi injured, like, who do you even like best on Minnesota? If you could have any one player on Minnesota that's not named Ryan Suter, who's been phenomenal. I don't know if you guys realize, he has 10 points in nine games. So Ryan Suter, an amazing start. And obviously, Devin Dubnik, let's say, not available. But one forward on Minnesota, you could have Charlie Coyle, who has seven points in nine games. You could have Eric Stahl, also seven points in nine games. Granlin has five. Koivu has five. Pominville, ugh, forget about Pominville. He has four points in nine games. So I guess maybe it comes down to, like, Coyle uh, and Stahl. Like, who do you like best of these guys? And maybe you could also give a quick rundown of Erickson Eck. I think you're going to like saying Erickson Eck's name for as long as we get to. Eric Stahl would be my second wild player that I'd like after Parisi and Suter at this point. It's all coming true. What we were hoping would be a bounce back opportunity has been that so far. He's looked really good. Seven points in nine games played so far. A penalty differential of plus eight, which is a little underrated aspect of what he's bringing to the table. And he's leading his team in on ice expected goals for percentage, which is a good thing. Just trust me on that. As for Zach Parisi, I, I just want to go back to him. He had six points in eight games before getting injured. 28 shots on goal, though. I think he single-handedly won weeks when he had that 10-shot game against the Islanders where he scored two goals. So that's even better than just a 10-shot game. And anybody who's so distraught about his injuries, like, yes, he has a reputation for missing time like Evgeny Malkin, but he's only missed 20 games over the last two years. So that's not too bad. I'm kind of hoping that this is him getting those man games lost out of the Mm -hmm. way. In the meantime, it's been a good opportunity to see more from Erickson Eck, whose leadership we saw praised in the early training camp sessions. And he's the first round pick of the Minnesota Wild in 2015, 20th overall. This is first pro season in North America. He played one AHL game before getting called up, scored a goal in it. And uh, yeah, I think he's probably like a half point per game guy. You can watch to see if his ice time goes up, but I don't think that he's needed to all of a sudden be thrown in and carry a big load. There's so many guys, like you mentioned, Elon in Minnesota. It's, you know, we talked about the horizontal landscape in Carolina last week in Minnesota. It's been similar for years. I'm interested to see how they handle that top line situation with Parisi out. One option is to move Charlie Coyle over to the left side. That's where he played in Minnesota for a while. Or you can move Mikhail Granlund to the left side and try and get, I don't know, I don't even know who else. There's so much mixing and matching and dual eligibility there in Minnesota right now. One thing, Elon, that I just want to say, this team has been totally underappreciated for what they've done so far this year. They're leading the league in even strength goals, and it's not even close. They're averaging nearly four even strength goals per game. Can you guess the only other team averaging more than three even strength goals per game? Um, I don't know. Who's like a high-scoring team? Uh, Oilers? That would be pretty crazy. I guess it's a fair guess. It's the Maple Leafs. They're the only Uh other team in the NHL who are averaging above three goals per game. Meanwhile, Minnesota is near four. Sounds like Bruce Boudreaux is making good use of all his players. 
But to go back to your original question, I'd take Eric Stahl, but, you know, Charlie Coyle is finally doing something. Granlund, Koivu, none of these guys have been the most exciting fantasy producers over the year, but I would definitely prefer them all to Erickson Eck, including maybe Vanino Niederreiter. Oh, wow. Okay, well, actually, a lot of people in the chat room are voting Charlie Coyle, so it seems like it's just you taking Eric Stahl, and I guess also it depends on position eligibility, like Coyle right now is right-wing eligible on Fantrax and probably some other platforms while Eric Stahl is only center but it's like Eric Stahl has been great right 23 shots also in nine games Charlie Coyle not too far behind with 17 both looking good Coyle with a bit more hits and blocks anyways both looking good I like Eric Stahl also I think he's gonna get more points than Charlie Coyle but maybe if the right wing helps you out then maybe you'd go him but I'm, I'm with Brian guys chat room I'm with Brian I want the, the record to be shown because I might not be with him for everything later and also speaking of Minnesota talking about how great they're doing offensively with all these even strength goals Obviously, it's also helping that they're getting probably the best goaltending, maybe in the league, or, it, you know, it's contentious with a few amazing goalies, but Devin Dubnik, seven games, five wins, a 9.52 save percentage, and he's currently riding, I don't want to jinx it, but he's riding three straight shutouts. So who knows how long that will last? Is this the Dubnik from two seasons ago? Is he back and is Minnesota, but now with Minnesota also scoring goals? This is amazing. So in the sense of Devin Dubnik playing way over his head. Yes, he's the Devin Dubnik of two years ago. He stopped 28 of 29 high danger shots against, and that goes a long way because based on his career high danger save percentage, he probably should have let in a couple more of those shots that are coming in from the more dangerous areas on the ice. Minnesota is also first in the league in penalty kill percentage. They've killed 25 of their 26 penalty kills, and that is on the strength of an insane 968 shorthanded save percentage from Devin Dubnik, where we expect, like, we expect penalty kill percentage to be lower than your even strength save percentage, of course, because shots against on the penalty kill are more likely to be dangerous. You're offering the team greater opportunities to move in close and set up plays. Interesting other food for thought, the average shot distance against this year in Minnesota is 28 feet, which is seven feet closer than the years prior. So take that for whatever it's worth. I guess that's a factor that Dubnik is working with and and making his own so far in the season. Sometimes those things happen intentionally, like the coach sets up a system where they're okay letting in shots from close by because they have a good way to gobble them up or to clear the crease afterwards. But the key numbers here are that high danger save percentage and that penalty kill save percentage for Dubnik. They're not going to last. That's what's inflating his save percentage so much. Everything else looks about average. So once those go back to about average, I expect Devin Dubnik just to continue being Devin Dubnik, which is still pretty good. Yeah, definitely a really good like tier two goalie, maybe tier three, depending how you're breaking them down if you want to give Carey Price a tier all to himself. But okay, let's put a pin in Devin Dubnik. We're going to get to a couple other goalies. Maybe I'll ask you to ha- give your early season Vesna nominees. But okay, I wanted to get back to injuries. I was going to bring up Nikita Kucherov, but actually, apparently he's back today. So forget about him, though I did still want to talk about Tampa Bay and I did prepare some stuff to say, so I'm going to talk about them anyways. Nemestnikov was playing with Kucherov and then, and with Stamkos, but I guess that was over with Kucherov out, but now, okay, let me actually get the updated Tampa Bay lines here. Maybe I shouldn't have gone into this without updating my prep. Okay, in the current game, which is happening today, Kucherov's been playing with Nemestnikov and Stamkos. Oh, so there you go, Nemestnikov back. Ah, who knows? Tampa Bay is one of those teams also 
like uh, who was it else that we were talking about earlier that the lines are moving? Oh, St. Louis. Like you can't rely on people to stay on a certain line. It was Alex Killorn who's had such a hot start, seven points in eight games. But, you know, we were thinking maybe he was bumped down to the third line. But it looks like today he's playing with Phil Pula and Druin. So Druin, I guess, is on the third line. And we've got Tyler Johnson with Palat and Braden Point. At this point, I'm just naming names. So let me just ask you, Brian, this. We've got Nemesnikov and Killorn, who I think you probably haven't changed your mind on. Let us know if you have. Generally, what you've said about these kinds of guys is they're going to go hot. They're going to potentially get on a good line, but you don't want to rely on them long term. Then you have guys like Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat, each with only four points in eight games. A lot of people are wondering if they are snoozers, if they should be dropping them or trading them for people who are perceived to have lesser value what do you think about each of these guys do you think they're going to bounce back or do you think that maybe they're not as good as people think maybe they're more like 50 55 point guys and not 60 plus like we would have expected going into the season i'm going to run through this really quick just a few names on tampa that you brought up alex killorn just to start i know you said like i haven't changed my mind and i haven't but it's worth pointing out especially i i think people didn't like what i had to say about him thought i was shortchanging alex killorn I wouldn't dare. He leads the NHL with six goals going into tonight's game, tied with Line, Simmons, Matthews, and Panic. Of course, we all thought those guys would be tied for the lead league in goals nine or ten games in. Killorn has also only been held off the score sheet two times in eight games, so consistent production, seeing about 18 minutes on a regular basis on whatever line. Like Tampa can set up their lines however they want. They do the same thing on the power play. They just can spread everybody so well they have at least three guys who can make or break a line and they can spread them out or stack them up however they like Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson they're both going to be fine don't worry a 55 points should be a reasonable expectation that is what I hope is going to be their floor for the season despite their slow start and then you have Braden Point who is playing on I guess Elon what you might have just called the second line uh he's a rookie taken in the middle of the third round back in 2014 was just in junior last year, got a few games in with the Tampa Bay Lightning affiliate in Syracuse, and now he's in his first full pro season. He was only expected to be there temporarily until Ryan Callahan returned, but he's making a case to stay, even with Callahan's return looking more and more imminent. Uh, He's played mostly with Phil Pula and then also Alex Kalorn when Kalorn is not on the top line. Now that's different tonight, of course. But listen to some of his offensive numbers so far for Braden Point. He's third on the team in shots on goals per 60 minutes. He's got a solid puck possession percentage, or let me take that back, a solid shot attempts for percentage. Uh, and he's ahead of Kalorn and almost tied with Kucherov in on-ice expected goals for per 60 minutes. His actual stat line, not as impressive as all that. No goals, four assists, and 20 shots in the short season so far. So I'm not talking a must-add, but somebody worth noting, especially if you're looking for somebody in some deeper league who might see some opportunity either on the power play or at even strength. Right. And so, sorry, what was your, so yeah, Braden Point looking good. Obviously, the thing with someone like him is he has good per 60 numbers, but I don't see his time on ice really increasing this year because like we've said there's so many good players on Tampa Bay someone to definitely watch if an opportunity opens up but like I wouldn't expect him to you know capitalize and get more time to be able to put up more actual counting stats did you give your thoughts on Palat and Johnson though because we I need an answer for all these people who are tweeting at us saying if they should drop these guys yes I did I said they're gonna be fine don't drop them everything's cool All right. So far, yeah, Brian, it seems to be your thing to say, yeah, don't worry about it with these slow streaks. If it's a guy who's established himself, how many games 
in general, because I'm going to get to a couple more of them before the end of the show. Like, how many games before you start getting worried that maybe he's not going to put up the production we expected? Clearly, 10 games isn't enough for you. Here are eight games, actually, for these Tampa Bay guys, which I think is fair. Four points in eight games, one or two extra points totally changes the complexion of how we're looking at them in, for the season. How many games of, let's say, a half point per game or less before we have to get worried? Well, it's not just about the number of games, although the number of games I'm looking at is probably 20. If that's a little long for you to wait, I might feel a little more comfortable at the 15 mark rather wait till the 25 game mark. It's also a combination of no scoring and poor underlying numbers. And well, I mean, it's the same thing though. Like I can say that their numbers look good right now, but on the flip side, if they didn't look good right now, I'd still say it's only nine or 10 games. So let's wait and see more. Uh, But still there's no, there's no red flags. I'm looking for red flags. There's no red flags. I'm not somebody who easily gives up on an established player 10 games into the season. And I'm sorry if that makes this episode a little less exciting for you. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But you're the same the other way because we're going to get to some players who are on hot streaks. Sometimes you also say, you know, you're, you're good, you're consistent. You're like, go with the expectation until we see enough evidence to go otherwise. Maybe once in a while you'll miss out on a good free agent because you were holding on to your established guy. But overall, you seem to win your pools every year. So you must know what you're doing, even if every once in a while you're like, ah, oh, I missed this guy and I held on to Yuri Hoodler because I thought he would do something. But you did drop Yuri Hoodler, so you're not that bad. Okay. I'm trying to learn. I'm always trying to get better. Yeah, all right. So then... One other injury, I guess I'll mention, Thomas Vanek. He's out week to week, which is a real shame because he was having, you know, such a great start to the season. And like, especially with the power play time, I really thought that he was a smart ad for me. I grabbed him in the cupful and I was really happy with what I was getting. But I guess I should have known that he's Thomas Vanek. He's older. He's going to get injured. He had eight points in seven games, by the way. That's what I wanted to say about Thomas Vanek. Now that he's gone, it looks like we've been seeing Larkin with Nielsen and Gustav Nyquist and then Abdelkader with Tatar and Zetterberg as the top two lines. So that's good news for who? Abdelkader, I guess? I'm not even sure. Really, the guy on Detroit who's been the most exciting is Gustav Nyquist with eight points in 10 games. This team has like been winning a lot of games, even though none of them are really breaking out so much. Like Vanek was second on the team, also with eight points in only seven games. Zetterberg's like way down with only four points in 10 games. Do you, like, are there any Detroit guys at this point who you think is really worth owning? Like anyone who you think is going to be better? Like is Nyquist going to be able to keep up this pace? And is someone like a Tatar who everyone's wondering if they should just drop only two points in 10 games? Is it time to give up on Tatar? Maybe. He's a guy who, you know, you always think he's in the right position to score and then he doesn't do it. So I feel like his value already this season has gone really high because everyone's like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And then he does a little something and then it's gone back down because he's doing nothing. And then you feel like it's going to come again. But the guy that I want on Detroit and probably one of the only ones, although, you know, Nielsen and Larkin are okay doing their thing too. Gustav Nyquist, not getting any appreciation for what he's done so far. Three goals, five assists in, I guess it's now 10 games played. Although I don't know if he got a point in that 10th game. I haven't updated my stats since then, including only one power play point. So a lot of even strength scoring coming from Gustav Nyquist early on, which is a real solid look for him. Somebody needs to step up into that gigantic vacuum that exists with Datsuk out and also with Zetterberg clearly declining and not able to produce at the rate we're used to seeing him produce at. Gustav Nyquist is being the one who is trying to take that lead and fill that vacuum. And we'll see if he can keep it up over the course of the season. One last Red Wings note, Elon. Mike Green saw a ton of power play time today, so he's still hopefully going to continue getting that strong power play performance. And Thomas Vanek, just to be fair, last season he missed eight games. The year before he missed two. The year before he missed four. And like in the years before that, he's never really missed more than 10, and that was rare. He tends to play a lot of 78-game 
plus season. So he's been pretty durable over the course of his career, although getting older, I suppose. this It's so sudden. Parisian Vanek, I felt so suddenly week to week all of a sudden. So we'll see what happens with him. Keep him stashed if you can. Yep, I've got him stashed in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League. Mike Green, you brought him up. He's actually pointless now in five games after that really hot start. I guess that's to be expected. Especially Detroit actually haven't, hasn't scored many goals recently, like two goals when they lost 5-2 against Florida today, and then they lost one nothing against Boston yesterday, and they won 2-1 to against St. Louis. So not many goals coming out of Detroit. So that's obviously going to hurt Mike Green's chances, but probably still worth holding on to. We're still waiting for Nicholas Cronwall to come back and see how that affects Mike Green, but I wouldn't drop him just yet. But once Cronwell comes back, you might want to have your trigger finger on him if you have someone exciting in free agency. Okay, that's it for outjuries. Next, how about we talk about some roster moves? I guess there's one really big one. Hampus Lindholm signed with Anaheim, and I saw a lot of people rushing to grab him. And Brian, to me, this is kind of like a Rantanen question. I was wondering, why are people... So excited. Like, I get, yeah, he's a good player. He's actually a really good defenseman. From what I've seen, he's like a really good defenseman in real life, maybe even when it doesn't show up in fantasy. But as far as fantasy goes, career high of 34 points a couple of seasons ago, only 28 points last year. He still seems to be behind Fowler and Vatanen for power play time. At least that's what happened last year was Lindholm usually on power play too. So does he like really have so much value for fantasy that people are dropping, you know, maybe like a Mike Green to pick up Hampus Lindholm, who they're excited to see get into the Anaheim lineup. I'm curious to get your thoughts on him. Like to me, I guess you could tell what I'm thinking. I think like kind of meh a little bit, like let someone else rush and drop someone good for Hampus Lindholm. Then you could pick up the guy that the other person drops for Lindholm, but maybe you could disagree with me. Yeah, not so meh on Hampus Lindholm. He only had 28 points last year. And the first time I was reminded of that, I was like, okay, yeah, but in how many games he played 80. So 28 sure. points in 80 games, there's no excuse for that. Then I look a little deeper and I found that his even strength shooting percentage was 2.22% which is very low. It's a third of his career average of 6.5%. Even for a defenseman, you expect a greater than 2% success rate shooting. He also had unusually low individual points percentage, and that's why he only had 13 even strength points last year, which is awful over 80 games. He relied on his 15 power play points to get all the way to 28 points. Meanwhile, the year before that, he had 28 even strength points alone plus Six power play points. So he's a talented guy. Last year was an off year, weird year. Like, I think he still played well. Things just didn't quite go his way. I think his floor remains a 35-point pace, and good power play time is what's going to bump him up above a 40-point pace. The issue with that is when we look to the Anaheim power play, you've got Vatanen and Fowler as the top guys, and they're both doing all right. Even Shea Theodore saw a share of minutes creeping up in recent days. As always with Anaheim, at least I know in their crease a little bit of what's going on this year. I still don't know how they're going to work that power play time amongst all their defensemen. So I'm going to say if you're looking at Lindholm, what you're looking at is seeing, well, is he having a little more success at even strength? Like the success that he deserves at even strength is not necessarily something that you can predict. And the other thing you're looking at is, well, is he seeing enough quality power play time that he can bang home like, I don't know, five, 10 points with the men advantage this year. Yeah. And anyways, one guy, you know, you don't have to worry about on Anaheim, at least for now, Shea Theodore, some people were really excited about him getting called up. He's been like called up and sent down maybe like two or three times since we mentioned him last episode. Clearly he's not going to be a huge factor, especially now with the Lindholm signing for this year. So obviously Theodore in a keeper league, it's a whole other thing, but he has one assist in four games played. Let's not worry about him. Another guy in Anaheim I'll bring up quickly that's also going to be coming back soon. Don't forget, Ricard Raquel, he got signed, I guess it was last week or maybe the week before, but apparently he's going to start as early as this Tuesday. So you know what? He had 43 points in 72 games last year. That's a 49-point pace, which is really good. And 
I could definitely see him getting back up and playing with Getzlaff and Perry, which is, of course, where you want to be, which is, of course, bad news for Nick Ritchie, who's been enjoying the spot there. But I could see him potentially getting bumped for Raquel. So you got to watch what's going on in Anaheim if you have Ritchie. Maybe it's going to be time to drop him, like give him a couple games, see where he ends up. But also, if you see Raquel in free agency, definitely someone to watch and someone to add potentially if he gets on that top line. And also, he was getting like top power play time last year, too. Good points. Let's keep going. All right. You wanted me to mention this, Brian, so I put it in the doc here. There's a ru- you normally you don't really like talking about rumors, but the rumor is that Halak might be traded on the Islanders. Is this like something that's more credible than the usual rumors that we hear? He hasn't been having a great season so far. Obviously, it's early on, but in five games, he only has a 901 save percentage, two wins for what it's worth. Grice played today against Toronto. They killed him. He only let in one goal. And so now that gives him two wins in four games and a 925 save percentage. So I guess Grice has shown himself to be a really solid goal. We've never seen him be uh, for sure number one on a team that I could remember. But yeah, like what was the reason why you wanted to bring up Halak? Do you think he's going to get traded? And I guess that would make Grice a must-add if that does happen. Yeah, Halak has been a healthy scratch even this season. And it is a substantial, a substantiated rumor. Elliot Friedman mentioned that Halak's agent has asked for a trade for the Islanders to fix their three-goalie situation because Barubi is the other one. And the Isles responded by saying, well, okay, Halak is the guy who wants it fixed, so let's fix it by sending him elsewhere. That's the word that I trust is happening. So if you are an owner of Halak right now, it might be time to start thinking about the future, exactly where he's going to end up. Like, it's hard to speculate. It's just something you sort of, you need to be aware of just for now. There's not anything big you can do to act on it today, but just be ready. Yeah. Well, here in the chat, a viewer is saying Halak to Carolina makes sense. Well, anyone... (laughs) It will do better on Carolina than Ward and Lack have been doing. So yeah, that would make sense. Obviously, LA is the name that comes to mind for a lot of people. Dallas is obviously always a team that we think of needing a goalie. I don't know if they could really, unless somehow Niemi and Letnin got sent back to the Islanders, which wouldn't make any sense. So I don't think he'd be going to Dallas. It'll be interesting to see where he'll go. Not too many teams need a goalie, and especially not these next few teams. Because I want to talk about, Brian, some goalies that have had amazing hot starts. We already talked about Devin Dubnik, but of course, maybe we have to talk about the guy Okay, first of all, we already talked about Carey Price last week. So forget about him. I know he's been amazing. He's been awesome. There's nothing more you can say. He's going to for sure be a Vesna candidate this year. But who's the person who will challenge him for the Vesna? Who are going to be the three people nominated right now? I'd say the case is being made for Devin Dubnik and maybe Cam Talbot. It's eight games so far. Seven wins, a 934 save percentage. I guess the big question is, is he and the Oilers for real? Or is it time to sell high? Those are sort of the two cases if you're a Camp Talbot owner. Or if you're not an owner, like I'd say don't trade for him because you'd have to give up an arm and a leg for him because his value is super high right now. But is it somewhat sustainable? You know, the Dauber Fantasy Hockey Guide this summer, according to Patty here in the chat room, said don't underrate Talbot. And for the people who drafted him so far, they're getting everything they could have wanted and more. Of course, the Oilers, they're still the Oilers, but they did make moves this summer to try to improve the team is it looking like those moves actually work you're already trying to preempt what i'm going to say and justify like i know where you're you're you think talbot is good and the oilers are better and everything's hunky-dory uh he's not like he's good he's good sorry talbot is good and you remember i was one of his biggest boosters last year you thought anders nielsen was going to challenge or keep the number one job all of last year and now you're on the cam talbot train i wonder how that happened if you look at talbot's even strength play it's been very strong so far this year and his numbers the good news is they actually look sustainable when you look at them alongside his numbers from last year all his contextual save percentages so low danger medium danger high danger they're all in like the same area as they were last year. So his even strength play 
I think he can keep that up. He can be an above-average goalie this year for sure. Where there's a problem, though, is that he has a 935 save percentage on the penalty kill uh, versus the 890 that he had last year. And that's where you're looking for an eventual hit to come on his save percentage. He's been incredible. He's helped the Oilers to an 89% efficiency penalty kill, good for third in the league. They've killed off 24 of 27 penalties. However, it's impossible for any goalie to maintain that over any length of time. So Cam Talbot, still good, not this good. And then the other concern is that he's with the Oilers. And if you look at them, their score-adjusted shot attempt numbers, they're the middle of the pack in the league. Same with their expected goals for percentage. And both of those, you know, middle of the pack is better than we've seen from them in years past. But even seeing them hold that position seems to be a lofty goal still to me. I'm not bought in to this new Oilers that suddenly competes after trading away their top player, getting a top four defenseman back, and everybody else just aging by one year. I guess Milan Lucic also brought in, and they have a goalie in Cam Talbot, so it all helps. I just don't see them being able to keep up this crazy... I mean, of course, they're not going to win at this rate all year long, but I'm also curious to know if they can win at a 500 rate all year long with the team they've got and of course as the team sags and Talbot's assignment becomes more difficult I'd say if you're a Talbot owner or you're looking to acquire Talbot this is probably the peak of his value for the year like how often are the Oilers going to win seven out of eight or whatever they've done to start the year not to say that Talbot isn't going to revisit his own personal save percentage numbers later in the year that he's got right now but I don't at all think everything is going to be this hunky-dory for the majority of the 2016-17 season. Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I think he's going to have a 934 save percentage, by the way, but I think you are underplaying some of the changes that have happened since last year. Like, yeah, they traded Hall for Larson, but I like to look at it as Hall for Larson and Lucic. So Lucic is a very good complimentary player for Connor McDavid. And by the way, that's the other big change. Connor McDavid, healthy. I would say that with Connor McDavid in the lineup, the Oilers are a threat to score like a couple of goals at least every game if not more, like they're a good scoring team, even if they're like not having winning all the Corsi battles, like Connor McDavid's going to get like a hundred points this year. That's going to help. And then Talbot is a really awesome goalie who has never had a save percentage lower than 917, which is a save percentage last year. And we all remember how he had that horrible start. And like you brought up how I was excited about Nilsson maybe stealing his job. So if you take away the start of the year, he was even better. And as a backup in New York, he was great. And he's doing great now. Like, I just don't see any reason to not think that he's going to be one of the best uh, goalies in fantasy. You don't see any reason. You think <laughs> okay. because Connor McDavid, you said the Oilers are going to definitely score a couple goals a game, and you might as well have just said Connor McDavid is definitely having the potential to score a goal each game or you know a couple goals in several games this year. Beyond that, there's just not a ton for me to get excited about. Like if you're looking for huge win numbers, like if we look at last year, uh, I don't know, Elon, who are you hoping the Oilers can be like? If you want them to be say, like a team that snuck into the playoffs in the Pacific Division. I guess there actually wasn't one. It was such a weak division. So let's look at the Central Division. Minnesota took the wild card spot. They had 38 wins last year. Are you hoping for Kim Talbot to get like 34, 35? Edmonton had 31 wins last year. I don't know. Okay, maybe let's not get into the weeds here. (laughs) Obviously, I'm also like, since we're kind of like having a disagreement, I'm like trying to only make points to support my side. Like, I definitely see what you're saying. But I also think that, you know, we got Russell and like Larson, a healthy, a healthy Clef Bomb. Clef Bomb was also injured last year. Like, there's reasons to see why they should be better 
than last year. Michael is, is giving me some of these reasons in the chat room here. So thank you, Michael. Anyways. Okay. 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 No, hang on. I, let me say one more thing. So you think, so let's say they've improved by four or five wins over last year. They've already got like seven of them say, so they're going to get like 25, 28 more. And that's what you're getting from Cam Talbot the rest of the year. So that that's my concern. He's just, his C percentage numbers, I think are going to be solid. He's going to go through some tough spells. I think when Edmonton collapses by doing whatever Edmonton does, and the winds won't be there during those dry spells. That's my concern. But I really, I appreciate what he's doing. I appreciate your point. Elon Edmonton may be stronger than they've ever been before. Thanks to a healthy McDavid. Yeah. And obviously like I have this like fantasy lens. So when I'm looking at players on a team, I'm thinking more in terms of like, oh, these look like they have a lot of good players. Cause I know that these guys are all like people I've heard of in fantasy, but the Oilers defense, like it's not like a bunch of no names, right? Like I'm seeing like Darnell Nurse, Chris Russell, Andre Sekera, Oscar Clefbaum, Adam Larson. Like these are all decent players i guess i know chris russell you like laugh and say that he sucks but i don't know they got him for a reason right he must be something (laughs) okay you first off you're trusting the oilers management and getting him for a reason and you say they're all they're not no names i mean what has darnell nurse done to prove himself in the nhl what has oscar clefbaum really done to prove himself in the nhl adam larson's contributions in the nhl to date are still debatable as to the the extent of how much he offers his team. Maybe you've got Eric Griba, uh, Andre Sekera, I'd say, and Adam Larson. I, I'd give those guys being like the two solid top four guys. Hopefully, Clef bombs one. Chris Russell manages; he gets by barely. I don't. I'm not with you that this decor is solid top to bottom. So many proven guys. Right. We could probably go on about this all night if you That's respond right. to what I just said. So maybe we should move on. That's fair. I, you know what, Brian? I, everyone should know that anytime Brian and I have an argument like this, I'd say like 90% of the time Brian's right. So you should probably listen to him. I do have Cam Talbot in two of my leagues, so maybe I'm just hoping. But I'm, <laughs> I'm liking what I'm seeing so far, and I think he's a good goalie, and I think the Oilers are a better team. Okay, so we brought up him, Devin Dubnik. The other goalie I want to mention that's been amazing is Tuka Rask. Maybe he's starting to put a campaign together to be like, no, I'm still Tuka Rask. Because we were talking on the podcast over the summer that he's degraded. He's like not as good. He's maybe going to be average this year. He actually just came back from an injury yesterday. So he's only played four games played, but four wins in those games. He's actually, the only games Bruins have won have been when Tuka Rask plays. And Rask is only won games when he's played. So it's pretty good for them that he's healthy. A 958 save percentage. So, like, is Tuka Rask at this point? Could we be confident that he's back to, like, the 920 goalie or higher? Or do you think he's still kind of going to be 915, which was where he was last year? I'm talking about save percentage, of course. Well, you know how hopeful I am about Tuka Rask and how he can return to peak Tuka form. Uh, and you might think he's close there. He has a 947 high danger save percentage this year. Compare that to 788 and 795 in the years prior. So that's way inflated. And even if you look at peak Tuka, he had a high danger save percentage in the, like about 850 range. So 947, still stopping 10% more of the shots he faces in a high danger context. That is still unsustainable, however exciting it might be. Interestingly, I mentioned Minnesota's shot distance. Boston's shot distance is actually increasing. Shots against are coming from a further distance than they have in the past. And actually, this is a good place to mention Steve Valiquet former backup goalie for the New York Rangers doing some excellent work. You can find him on Twitter at Valley's View and he works for the MSG Network. But he's pointing out how if defensemen spent more time blocking off lanes for passing and deflection for those low percentage shots coming from the outside, like low danger shots, then goalies would have a better time seeing them and there'd be less chance of the puck being redirected. Like if a goalie has a clear-sided look 
at a shot coming from like outside the face-off circles or behind the blue line or between the face-off circles and the blue line, they have like a 97% chance of stopping that shot. So interestingly enough, you've got Boston pushing shots further out. And I wonder maybe if you watch a Boston game, that's something you can look for. If defensemen are throwing themselves in front of shots coming from low danger areas that they might just be complicating things by, or if they are blocking off those deflection and passing lanes to help Rask see everything clearly. Yeah, well, whatever they were doing, it wasn't helping Malcolm Subban, who played for a game with uh, Rask injured and also Kudobin's injured. And then there was this other goalie playing. It, it doesn't matter. Rask is back. He's going to be fine. Uh, maybe this guy's not a Vesna candidate, but I want to give a couple updates on some guys we talked about last week quickly. Brian Elliott, just like you predicted, Brian. I like People should definitely listen to you. Don't listen to me, guys, ever. You said Brian <laughs> Elliott will bounce back. And what a bounce back he's had. Three wins in his last three games, 939, save percentage or higher in each of these games. So we were so worried about this horrible start. You said it might take him some time to settle in to a new sister or whatever. It seems like he has settled in. Not to say he's going to be now like a 930 goalie going forward, but it seems like he should be pretty decent. Like I'm very happy for him that he's strung together two or three good games in a row. I appreciate your lauding me as being right. However, uh, two or three good games in a row isn't enough for me to feel like I'm right. So, you know, there might still be some peaks and valleys to come. And you're right a bunch of the time, too. Don't sell yourself short. All right. Well, here's another one where maybe... Okay, so here's one then. Fine. I won't laud you. Maybe I'll insult you and I'll say that maybe this one you were wrong. (laughs) But we'll see because actually another update is last week we talked about Jimmy Howard and how he was playing so well and we thought that he might be someone worth looking at as the backup who might challenge for starts. You said, don't worry about it. Howard's nothing. He's been bad for a while now. But you know what? This week, what's happened? Howard had a shutout yesterday actually scratched that he got Boston got the shutout against Detroit but it was one nothing so Howard played a great game then Morazic played today for Detroit and he got pulled after letting in four goals and only making 10 saves and Howard came in and was good the rest of the game only one goal against on uh on 14 shots so Howard again is showing to be right now at least the better goalie on Detroit do you still think it's like for sure for sure Morazic's net and Howard doesn't have a chance to steal or now are you a little bit higher on Howard after another good week for him and a bad week for Morazic? So you're asking me if I have changed my opinion based on 85 more minutes of ice time from Jimmy Howard. Like last week I said, I hasn't done this for long enough. Like it's been like six games. Now you're like, well, now that he has eight appearances, have you changed your mind? No, I haven't. All right. So I'll keep asking you, you know, Avi's pointing out in the chat room here, Morazic proved he couldn't carry the team in the second half last year. Like he really crumbled and Howard did come in at the end of last year and took starts. So I'm not sure why we assume that Morazic is now ready to carry the wings over the whole season. These are obvious (laughs) words, but I agree with him. And I think there is still a role for Jimmy Howard. He's doing really well. Morazic is a year older. Uh, Detroit had their own defensive problems going on through the whole year that Morazic helped cover for and eventually run out of steam to help cover for. And this year, it's not like he's been bad. He's a 925 goalie in six games. He's won four out of his six starts with a 2.48 goals against average. He's faced more shots against than Jimmy Howard and has a above average save percentage. There's not much not to like about Morazic. Yeah, he blew it tonight, but it's going to happen. All right. Well, okay. So maybe Brian and I will disagree here. I would say if Howard is available in free agency and you're in a league where goalies are, you know, hard to find, then I would say now just grab him. If you have a spot for him, especially if you have Morazic, I'd feel a lot more comfortable as a Morazic owner right now. If I also had Jimmy Howard, you could always drop Howard if he ends up being bad, like Brian projects that he will be, but so far so good. And so far not as great for Peter Morazic. Okay, how about we get away from goalies, Brian? Because I think we're going to... You know, I guess with goalies, it's even a smaller sample size than with these players because they don't play as many games and you need more starts to really get to know how a goalie's going to do. How about we talk about a guy that 
I think we'll both agree is amazing, but I don't think we expected him to be this amazing. Shea Weber, I wanted to bring him up as another guy on a hot streak. He's got 10 points now in nine games for the Habs, also 25 hits, also 19 blocks. He's basically been one of the most valuable players in fantasy if you're in a multi-category league. Were we wrong with our analysis of the Subban trade? Subban has five points in eight games. I know small sample size. I know you're rolling your eyes at me, but Weber has been better than we expected, right? Like, So basically, are you thinking he's a sell high at this point? Is there no way Weber is going to be... Like, Obviously, I don't think he's going to be a point per game, but like do we think he could maybe hit 60 points when before I would have thought closer to 50, 55? And like in fantasy, for example, in a league, if you're in a multi-cat league, would you trade Shea Weber for PK Subban? Because I'll bet you can do that if you have Weber right now in a lot of leagues. I'm wondering if you remember our analysis correctly. Like, I feel like we said Weber and Subban, probably even for the year, maybe even two. And then Subban's going to be the guy that you want from that point on. And also at a more reasonable contract too for what he's going to offer. So I'm not sure if our analysis was wrong. Like Weber is doing what we sort of predicted, although way better than that. Okay. Weber's not going to keep this up. Let me just get that out of the way right off the bat. He has a career high of 56 points. And now that he's on an 82 point pace, that doesn't mean he's going to suddenly break that career high. He's getting older. 55 points would be great, but I don't know that I can get behind a Brent Burns-type 70-point season, despite how strong Weber's start has been. The one thing working for him the most right now is that there's zero of the deference on the power play in Montreal that there may have been when he was paired with, say, Roman Yosi or whoever else back in Nashville. He is the guy. He is. Actually, we should just rename the Habs power play to the Habs Shea Weber time. He mm-hmm. is the guy that that whole thing runs through. He leads the Habs power play by a mile in time on ice. The Habs have spent 48 minutes on the power play to date this season. Weber's been on the ice for 29 of those 48 minutes, and that's like six more minutes than the next highest power play time on ice guy, which is Max Pacioretty. And on the power play, Weber is not just getting a ton of minutes, but he's doing incredible things with it. His shot and shot attempt rate stats are literally like astronomical. They're out of this world double what they've been for the rest of his career. And these kinds of numbers are actually, even though they're so high, I usually follow that up by saying, ah, but they're not going to last. I'm wondering if they are, because he's doing something really incredible right now. And I feel like the whole Habs power play is built to make that happen. He's been responsible for roughly two out of every power play shot attempts that the Habs are taking and responsible for an even higher ratio of the shots that are making it on goal. Like almost three out of every five shots on goal on the Habs power play start on Shea Weber's stick. So again, the Habs power play sort of kind of is Shea Weber, which is very nice for him, especially because his even strength numbers are actually not very impressive so far. Lower shot rates there than he's put up in previous seasons, and he's even had a high on ice shooting percentage. So a lot of you might be thinking that it's totally unsustainable and that I'm going to say, you know, he's old and, and getting rugged and ratty. I don't think so. I think if this power play role sustains, I'm really curious to see if he can keep running the show the way that he is. All right. Well, so I guess my question to you then, because I know actually you wanted to talk about the Predators at some point. So let me ask you, you have Shea Weber in the cupful, right? I do. So if someone were to offer you right now, PK Subban for Shea Weber, would you make that deal? And maybe when you're answering why, you could explain what the heck is going on in Nashville right now. I wouldn't turn it down as fast as you'd think. Uh, I think I'd probably hang on to Weber right now. Like if somebody wants Weber, if they want to buy high on him, then you're going to have to buy high. I want Subban plus 
for what Shea Weber is doing right now. But I think Subban's going to be okay. The Predators, yeah, they stink so far this year. They are like so bad. They are last in the Central Division, two points behind sixth place Dallas. Everything's wacky in the Central right now. But the Predators deserve that standing. They're 25th in the league right now in score-adjusted Corsi. They're sandwiched between New Jersey and Vancouver at 29th in the league and even strength goals for per game. And they're just relying on their power play to get them anywhere. 10 of their 18 goals this year have come with the man advantage, and they've actually given up two shorthanded goals. So their power play goal differential is not actually plus 10, it's 8 right now. You could say that their shooting percentage is low as a team, and that's a good sign that everything's going to balance out and they'll regress back to the mean and everything would be fine. But then we'd be glancing over the fact that they're in the bottom half of the league in generating shot attempts. So they need to help themselves before regression can help them all the way through. I think they're going to be fine. But it's a really interesting storyline that we didn't expect to see over the first nine or 10 games. Like I was so high on Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg. I wanted them both in a lot of leagues. And I guess I'm kind of lucky I didn't get them because they're not getting anyone very far. We've had similar questions about James Neal, if everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay in Nashville. At least I'm 90% confident Hmm. that it will be. I think it's worth waiting on. Look for their shot attempt numbers to get better and their possession numbers as well. If those stay in the tank for another 10 games, then that's cause for concern. Yeah, well, James Neal, you can't blame him anyways for shots. He's got 30 shots in eight games, only one goal to show for it, but that's almost four shots per game. So if anyone's going to bounce back, I would hope it would be him based on just shooting percentage. But yeah, not good for Nashville so far. It'll be interesting to see if they'll bounce back and how long it'll take for that to happen. I agree, it will happen. But I think you're right to take Weber over Subban. There's a lot of people pointing out in the chat here, Patty and Avi are discussing how, you know, Yosi and PK have been sort of canceling each other out because of the power play in Nashville. Like it's been Yosi on the top power play and Subban on the second power play. Avi pointed out here that Subban's power play ice time average last year was four minutes and 37 seconds. This year, only two minutes and 30 seconds. So it's almost like half the power play time. He was the number one guy in Montreal. Now Roman Yosi, he deserves a lot of time as well. It'll be really interesting to see if Subban will be able to get to the same number of points as Shea Weber. I would have said for sure, if you're drafting, like take Subban this year for points and Weber, if you want to also get some peripherals. But now it's kind of looking like Weber might end up with more points. I guess we'll have to see. It's too early to tell. Obviously, you can't do anything about it either way, unless you want to make this trade of Subban for Weber. But it looks like you're saying you would hold on to Weber. Yeah, you're buying low on Subban right now. Like if I have Weber... And I approach the Subban owner and say, hey, look, I want to make the deal that they made in the offseason. My Weber for your Subban, but I would want more in return, even though at the end of the season, I still think they'll probably end up about similar, like you said, maybe a few more peripheral numbers for Weber because he is the guy in Montreal while in Nashville, that defense is so deep. There's no way that PK Subban can be the guy. Yeah, they've also got Ryan Ellis and Eckholms. Yeah, really strong defensive team there. Now they just need to get some offense. So let's go, Nashville. You're supposed to be a good team. Maybe some good goaltending would help, with which obviously Pecorino doesn't seem to be able to provide. Uh, I guess since we're on Montreal, I'll quickly mention they've been shaking up their lines like crazy. The last game we had Patcher. I always assume Pacioretty is going to be on the top line. And then it's who's going to be, you know, sort of with him. Who's going to center him? Is it going to be Plakanic or Galchenyuk? And who's going to be on the right side? Is it going to be Gallagher or Radulov? They ended up going Galchenyuk, Gallagher, Radulov for line one. I guess Radulov went to the left side. And then Gallagher on the right. Like, anyway, and Pacioretty was on line two with DeHarnay and Shaw. So if this keeps on happening, that's 
kind of bad news for Pacioretty, I would think, but great for Radulov, who not only gets to the top line, but he's also jumped to the top power play. He bumped Markov. They've been going four forwards and just Shea Weber. Radulov has been great. Like He had that slow start, but is now up to seven points in nine games played. And we talked about his potential to have like 65, 70 points this year, just because of how well he's been doing in the KHL. Then it was starting to look like, oh man, maybe people who drafted him kind of blew it. But no, he's back on that pace now. And also Galchenyuk is doing great with eight points. Pacioretty, even though he's been bumped seven points, definitely not too shabby. Gallagher with seven points. So a lot of offense out of Montreal. And of course, like we've already mentioned, the best goaltender in the league, one of the best defensemen, this team. Yeah, things are going really well for Montreal right now, as they have for the starts of the last few seasons. We know how last one ended, although that was a price injury that caused it. So we'll see if uh, if they can keep this up all year. Interesting to note about that line change shuffle. We have Alex Galchenyuk still in probably the best center spot on the team. So it's nice to see him maintain an important role, which is something we haven't seen him do yet in Montreal or that's not on him. We haven't seen him being assigned to do by Michel Therrien. And then also of note, Thomas Placanic is down on the third line. David DeHarnay steps up on the second line with Max Pacioretty. No, DeHarnay not producing at a rate that's really going to draw your attention. He has four points in nine games played, only 10 shots on goal, nothing on the power play. But he has looked pretty good so far this year. It's just worth saying. So I don't know that this is terrible news for Pacioretty. I might actually prefer Pacioretty to play with DeHarnay than Placanitz. Okay, Brian, we're running short on time, as always. And we have so many players I want to talk about. I want to still get into some of these guys who are on hot streaks and that might actually be available to you. We've been talking a lot about players who you can't pick up on free agency. So let's just go through a couple more defensemen. Noah Hannafin. We got a tweet after the last episode. We were talking about Carolina saying, how are you going to talk up Carolina and not mention Noah Hannafin? That was from at Griffunk. And you know what? He had at that point had just an, a three assist game. And I was thinking, you know, I'm not going to start talking about Hannafin on this show when it's already so hard to fit all these players in when he's had like one good game. But you know what? Now he has an assist in each of his last two games. He's up to six points in nine games. Okay, that's enough. Noah Hannafin, you get a mention. Does he have 40 point potential this year? He's still not on the top power play. But, you know, I know that, Brian, you picked up Michael Matheson in one of the leagues we're in. And I see them kind of similar, not on the power play, but defensemen that seem to be able to still put up points at even strength. Yeah, so let's start with Hennepin, who's got the pedigree. Fifth overall pick in 2015. He just saw his season high of 19 minutes. Like you said, he's not seeing a huge role. He's been seeing bottom pair minutes for most of the year. Modest power play two-time. But he is leading the Carolina defensive core in offensive rate stats, ahead of even Justin Falk, though that might be a function of him just having played less than Justin Falk does and in more less offensive situations. Mm -hmm. He also has the lowest on ice expected goals for per 60 minutes of the group. So though Hennepin is getting a lot of pucks towards the net, the context of each chance, which is what expected goals for tries to measure, it doesn't really amount to anything special. Meanwhile, you have Michael Matheson in Florida, who's playing top four minutes on a regular basis, but seeing no power play time on ice. There's a bit of give and take there between him and Hannafin. Matheson is also ahead of Hannafin in shot-taking rate stats, enough to lead his own decor in shots on goal and unblocked shot attempts per 60 minutes. And that's a decor that includes Keith Yandel and Aaron Ekblad. And Matheson, unlike Hannafin, leads his defensive group in on-ice expected goals for per 60 minutes as well. Note that Matheson has also played 30 more minutes of even strength play than Hannafin. So I don't know, that adds barely any more credibility to these numbers. But what I'm saying overall is that Matheson has done it even strength, something more impressive than what Hannafin has done it even strength so far, except Hannafin gets 
that power play time. So pick Ryan, your- I got to I got to correct you here. I can't let you go on. Matheson today had more power play time than Keith Yandel. Avi saying in the chat here, Matheson has seen three plus minutes of power play time for his last four games. You got to update your numbers or Matheson. Not only is he doing so well, even strength, he's getting power play time now. Oh man, that's embarrassing. Okay, yes. Yeah. So for the past four games, he's uh, he's back in the power play. So that's good news. So in that case, I guess that actually makes it easier to decide. I take Michael Matheson. There you go. For being better at even strength and getting the power play time that I didn't realize he had started getting, even though I added him to my team. Oops. Well, yeah, oops for not know not knowing that, but great for you for adding him to your team, not even knowing he was going to get you that power play time. What a bonus for you. What like a surprise he's been. I wonder if Keith Yandel owners, I know you own Yandel in another league. Are you a little nervous, though, that Matheson's eating into Yandel's power play time? No, not especially. Yandel still looked good. He's putting shots on net still. I'm not concerned about Keith Yandel, and I'm going to keep saying that for like the next mm-hmm. three months. You know, last year when he was with the Rangers, he also didn't do anything for a very long time, and then he did pick it up eventually. I think the Panthers are a better situation for him, so I'm hoping that stretch of doing nothing really doesn't last very long this year. All right, cool. So let's talk about one more defenseman I wanted to go to. Let's go to New Jersey. You know, if it were me, I'd maybe pass on Hannafin, and I was going to say maybe I'd pass on Matheson. Now it seems like you're into him. I, right now, I think the guy that I would want more than these two is maybe Damon Severson. He's up to six points in his last six games. Seems to be splitting power play time with Johan Ovitu, but Severson is the one taking advantage of it. Ovitu only has two assists in eight games played. Well, like I said, Severson six points in just his last six. New Jersey's offense seems to finally be heating up a little bit now. Taylor Hall, red hot himself, seven points in his last six games. So yeah, I think Damon Severson is someone, if he's available for you in free agency, maybe he's going to jump around and maybe lose power play time and gain it. But right now it seems to be working. So I would want him, especially in the short term. So it's funny that you bring all these guys up, Elon, because when I added Michael Matheson, I also had OV2 already on my roster and Severson was available and I had the decision to make and I had to decide how many guys I wanted to add. Mark Streit was in the conversation. He had four points over a couple games, which is really exciting, but I don't know how well that's going to continue. Anyway, back to Severson, 13 shots in eight games. OV2 has 22 shots in eight games. Severson has a 24% power play on a shooting percentage. OV2 is at an 8.5% there, which is going to get higher or should be higher. OV2 has also been the better offensive generator at both even strength and on the power play, but things just haven't clicked for OV2 in the way that they have for Severson. I still like OV2 as the guy who still gets to go out on the power play with Hall, which I always assume to be the top unit, except the second unit that Severson's playing on has all of like the next best options after Taylor Hall, like Camilleri, Henrique, Parento, smith Pelly. So I ultimately made the decision to hold on to OV2 and add Matheson ahead of Severson. I think this is just like a weird blip. I think Severson is really capable as a power play quarterback, but right now I think OV2 is playing better. It's just not showing up in his numbers yet. All right, so I imagine you'll maybe wait a week, and if it still keeps being Severson getting points, I'd imagine you'd make the switch at some point. You know, also, last patron cast, I was really excited about Pavel Zasha getting up on the top line with Hall. This was, this was last Tuesday. We had the monthly show where just the patrons of Keeping Carlson, we get together, they ask us questions, and we were also, like, watching the scores as they were coming in, and it was looking great. Already, New Jersey has shuffled those numbers, so all the patrons who heard me excited about Pavel Zasha, he's already back down to, like, the bottom six. Last game, it was Hall with Zajac and Parento, and then Henrique with Palmieri and Camilleri. 
you know, two decent looking lines for sure. And yeah, any of those guys are pretty decent to play with on the power play. So it'll be interesting to see if it's Severson or OV2. I don't know. I disagree with you, Brian. If it was up to me, I know we have an acquisitions limit, so you can't just be adding and dropping guys all the time. But at this point, I'd rather have Severson than OV2. Give me the guy who's producing, though I guess obviously the underlying numbers are supposed to predict what will happen in the future. And if again, Severson hadn't produced what he did over the last couple games. Like I'm, I'm kicking myself a little bit, but it was the limited transactions that made me, you know, I don't want to flip the New Jersey power play guy yeah. all season long. I'd rather just drop OV2 and go cold turkey on the New Jersey power play and find somebody else. Okay, that's fair. Let's move on to another player who, you know, I wouldn't have thought was so fantasy relevant, but now all of a sudden, maybe he is Matt Molson. Maybe it's just because of injuries, but he's found himself on the top line with Ocposo and O'Reilly. And then he's also found his way onto the top power play with Ocposo, O'Reilly, Reinhardt, and Ristolainen, which is a really nice power play. And he's been delivering. He's got four goals and one assist for seven points now on the season. He had a power play assist yesterday. Nothing today in terms of points, but he had like five shots on goal. So And he was on that top power play still. So Molson definitely making a case if he's a free agent in your league. He's in a great situation. He does have a history of producing like a long ways back, I guess, at this point, back when he was playing with John Tavares. But clearly with good players, he is capable of producing. And so far, so good. Obviously, once Eichel comes back, everything gets shaken up. And Evander Kane, once he comes back. But for now, I'm liking Matt Molson. Yeah, I like Matt Molson too. I think all I can do here is agree with you. As long as he's on that top line, things are going really well. For him, and I guess when you have anyone returning from injury, then it's time to get concerned again. But for now, he makes sense as an ad in a deeper league where you don't have a lot of top six guys available. While we're in Buffalo, Elon, let me just shout out Kyle Poso. When I was preparing for this show, he had just started playing in his seventh game of the season, picked up a goal. I don't know if he picked up any more points in that game, but he had three goals and three assists in six and a half games played, let's call it, which is appeasing a lot of the fears that people had for Ocposo playing away from Tavares. He's looked good doing it also. I'm not saying he's an 82-point guy, but I think that the concern about him still being able to succeed away from Tavares, uh, he's making a good case against it. He already did, as we talked about in our offseason series. Like We thought he could do better. And then you look at Andrew Ladd in Long Island and see exactly how that whole thing's working out. So good for Kyle Ocposo. Yeah, the Ocposo, like you said, he actually had two goals today by the end of the game. So even better, he picked up another goal after he started preparing. So he's been fantastic. Andrew Ladd, I saw, was bumped from the top line. We were saying at least Andrew Ladd's going to be playing with Tavares. Today it was Josh Bailey and Anthony Beauvillier playing with Tavares. And then Ladd was on a line with Brock Nelson and Shane Prince. So I feel like we could drop Ladd at this point, right? Unless you're in a super deep league. Man, like, would you drop Ladd for Molson? Uh, like for Molson, I guess I'd wait a little bit longer just because I don't, I, you know, like because Molson also is in a short-term successful situation, but he's someone who, you know, could get bumped from his position once some injuries clear up. So I don't know if I would drop Ladd for Molson, but I would definitely drop him for like, you know, someone like Victor Rask, who just keeps rolling on Carolina and he's on the top line, the top power play. I don't see him going anywhere. He'll slow down a bit, but I'd rather have someone like that than Andrew Ladd. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you there. If there's an established top line, top power play guy, probably Carolina might be one of your only bets or maybe someone from Minnesota that we mentioned earlier. That might be someone worth dropping Andrew Ladd for. Elon, you mentioned Beauvillier. I'm just going to mention who he is quickly. Isles first round pick in 2015, 28th overall. He had a goal and four assists in his first six games in very limited minutes, which is promising. And then he went scoreless in two three if you didn't score today it's really hard when the games happen before we record anyway it's nice to see you know you're seeing some time 
with Tavares and Bailey, but hadn't done a lot with it as of the time that I prepared for this. He had two shots and three hits over that game that he played almost exclusively with Tavares and Bailey. Not a lot of power play time either. So he's still like a just watch guy, even though he is somebody who has a pedigree, who people think has talent to produce in the NHL. I'd rather see it before I add him. Oh. If you ask me Rantanen or Beauvillier, I would choose Rantanen. Obviously. Like if you've known anything, if you've been listening to Keeping Carlson for a year, you know that whoever's playing on the top line with John Tavares, he's not going to last there. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm surprised Josh Bailey is still there. He's actually doing pretty well. Maybe he'll last a little longer. I'm sure by the end of the year, he won't be playing with John Tavares all the way through. Bailey, a goal today, by the way. Beauvillier was on the ice. He's a plus one, but didn't get the point. So could have, maybe. But, you know, I guess hurts his IPP, but oh well. <laughs> Ian in the chat is mentioning Rask is on an eight-game point streak, and Patty's pointing out that Lad is still seeing some power play time. So keep both those things in mind if you're in a Lad for Rask situation. Like, yeah, Lad's getting time on the power play. Like, I'm kind of still like, so what? He's not producing there. So give me Victor Rask every day of the week. And that eight-game point streak is, is fantastic. Good for him. Brian, I'd be remiss if I didn't have my weekly player. I wrote this. I'd be remiss if I didn't have my weekly player who I've never heard of who's doing things. I've already mentioned a few of them. Let's throw one more at you. Ryan DeZingle on Ottawa. Seven points in seven games. I could swear I've seen his name showing up on, like, you know, updates. I follow at Goal NHL. This really awesome Twitter account that tweets every single time there's a goal and gives you the assists. I think it's at Goal NHL. It's fantastic. I set up my phone to give me notifications every time they tweet. So I get to see every single goal as they come in. Anyways, I've been seeing Ryan DeZingle's name there a few times. And I keep on thinking, ugh. It's, it's one of those nobody guys that there's no point. We'll never bring him up on the podcast, so I don't care. But his name keeps showing up. Then I check and see he's been playing with Broussard and Bobby Ryan on Ottawa's, I guess, top line or second line. Like, this is a guy who's in a good situation, and he's producing. Definitely worth bringing up on the show, but is he worth adding to your team? He's actually second in team scoring right now behind Eric Carlson, and he has a really fun name. What's not to like about Ryan DeZingle? Ryan DeZingle was the last pick for the Sens in 2011. As we mentioned, that draft where Andre Palat and Yerky Yokipaka, and who was the whole point of that whole segment? Scott Wilson was also taken that year. DeZingle had 70 points over 110 games for Binghamton of the AHL in the last two seasons. Watching him, he seems like a speedy, persistent-seeming guy. And he managed like a point-per-game pace out of the gates, like seven games in, which is pretty great. I think he's the first guy who gets into the top six whenever it's shaken up, but I don't think he is a top six guy in Ottawa. So maybe he gets a turn here and there, but nothing permanent. And I also don't expect him to see much opportunity on the power play. So I think he's still definitely a fringe fantasy player. Okay. And then Brian, let's keep going here. I want to get to a couple cold streaks, get your thoughts. And I see you prepared for them. So I got to at least get you to tell us what you prepared. John Carlson and Nicholas Backstrom, both on Washington, have been really cold. Backstrom had a power play assist yesterday, which broke a three-game pointless streak. A lot of people were wondering, oh no, Ovechkin's not playing with him. He was actually on the second line for a while. But Washington's been shaking up their lines, of course. And now he's back with Ovechkin and Justin Williams, who was in third line obscurity. But now he's been on the top line. Who knows how long all this will last. Washington's actually playing tonight. So as you listen to the show, you'll know how all these guys did but yeah Nicholas Backstrom obviously he's not like droppable but people were wondering in trades if maybe is he more like a 60 point guy as opposed to the 70 plus for sure that he has been for most of his career and then also John Carlson he's been even worse only one assist so far in seven games and only 12 blocks which sucks because the whole point of drafting John Carlson I thought is he's an offensive defenseman who also gives you blocks less than two a game People have been asking if they should be dropping Carlson for all kinds of players, including maybe someone like hashtag Team Wierenski. I love my Zach Wierenski. At this point, 
I don't think I would swap Carlson for Wierenski. That would be crazy, right? But at the same time, what's going on with John Carlson and I guess Nicholas Backstrom and also Ovechkin? Why didn't Ovechkin get any points yesterday? That was annoying. Yeah, it's really annoying when these guys that people have invested, these are like top round guys. Like definitely Ovechkin goes in the first five in every draft, maybe even first three. Then you've got Carlson and Backstrom who are both some of the first players taken at their positions in the early rounds. Here's what's happening. Here's at least what I think is happening. Washington's shooting percentage on the power play the last three years, second in the league, a shade below 15%. Washington's shooting percentage on the power play so far this year, second last in the league, a shade above 6%. So like less than half their usual number. And I think that explains the struggles of all your usual slam dunk cap scorers so far. The power play is their bread and butter. Last year's Fifth-ranked power play in terms of efficiency. Now they're ranked 23rd in the league, lagging eight percentage points behind last year's conversion rate. This isn't a group that's going to let that happen for long. I don't think the whole league has suddenly solved the Capitals' power play because it's been about the same for like the last several years now. I think everything's going to be okay. You've got a great buy-low opportunity for any Washington Capital right now. I wonder if anybody can pry Ovechkin away from the owner who drafted him. Maybe say, you know, Ovechkin's too old to contribute anymore. That's the real problem here. That's why the power play is failing. So um, why don't you just flip him to me for something definitely not worth Ovechkin? This is your chance. This is like these windows for Ovechkin are so rare. If you can snag him now, that'd be incredible. Let us know. Yeah, I, I doubt that. I think you might be able to get John Carlson, though, from someone who's nervous with his one point. And I still like him. As long as he's on the top power play and getting the most minutes for the Capitals, which is still the case, give me John Carlson. I'd love to see some more blocks, but I definitely expect the points to come. One guy on Washington that I want to talk about before we move on, Marcus Johansson had a good game with two goals and an assist uh, in their last matchup. They're playing again tonight, though, so that might be dateable. See how he does. He played on the line, though, with Evgeny Kuznetsov, and Tom Wilson, who's known as like a bottom six pest type player. But I read a tweet from Caps beat writer Isabel Kershugen. I'm hoping I'm not butchering the pronunciation of her name terribly. And she thinks that Kuznetsov and Wilson have this weird chemistry that works really well. So keep an eye on whether Tom Wilson becomes fantasy relevant by virtue of playing extended time with Kuznetsov. I also think TJ Oshie is going to get back on line one. He was dropped down to line three. And I think Williams, who was bumped up to line one, ends up back on line three. Backstrom, you asked at the top, is he still a threat for 70? He's still a threat for 70, but it's not the sure thing anymore that it used to be because we're just not finding that chemistry yet. And if he ends up playing with, say, Burakovsky or Johansson all season, that's still pretty good, but it's not playing with Ovechkin all year. Yeah, okay. And then, Brian, I got one more kind of snoozer for you, someone I want to know. A lot of people are wondering if it's time to cut bait on David Krejci. He only has three assists in eight games played so far this year. Yesterday, he was playing with fellow snoozer Ryan Spooner, who only has two points on the year, and someone named Austin Zarnick. So you can add him to the list of people. I have no idea who they are. And I don't think he's someone you want to grab, even though he's in the top six on Boston. I know they have some injuries. Bacchus is out right now. So I guess Krejci will get better line mates, but still not the awesome line mates like he had last year, he had Louis Erickson, who he was really good with. And, you know, like it was always a good situation. And last year he was amazing, right? He had almost a 70-point pace. Obviously, I don't think he's going to repeat that. But do you think he can at least hit a 60-point pace right now? He's lower than a half point per game. He's still on the top power play. But his line mates don't seem that great. And, yeah, he's just not producing like he was before. He's not. I think he's going to be okay. And I think a Krejci owner has to bide their time 
which is what a Krejci owner has had to do for so many years with either a cold streak or an injury or something else weird happening. Last year, he got to play with Pasternak a lot, and Pasternak has graduated up to Bergeron's line. So that leaves Krejci with either, it was Danton Heinen for the start of the year, and that didn't work for several games. So maybe Austin Sharnik will be a little better. I don't know. I'm just glad they changed it. The bright side is that Spooner hopefully sticks with Krejci and maybe they click together. The thing working against Krejci, aside from Pasternak's graduation, is Louis Erickson's departure. Louis Erickson had a big year last year, and David Krejci benefited from that. And then the Bruins got nobody similar to replace Louis Erickson. So that works against Krejci in his quest to match last year's 63 points. I still think 55 to 60 points is safe because Krejci, yeah, he had 63 points last year, but he's had like 62 points several times in his career to date. So he's shown that he can do it under various circumstances. I also should point out that Krejci saw a huge proportion of Boston's power play time last year, like way higher than anything else in the last five years. He scored 18 power play points with that extra chunk. I could see him losing a few of those points if his proportion of power play time on ice amongst Boston forwards levels back out. Early indications show that it will. So consider that. So you've got a few things working against Krejci to sum them up. You've got Pasternak on the first line, Louis Erickson gone and not replaced, and then less power play time on ice. I still think he's a really good player, though, so 55 points is still my floor for David Krejci, and I'm still hopeful for 60, but uh, I I grant that maybe I'm being a little too hopeful. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all the things you're saying are making me feel less confident. It's like all these bad things, and then, but he's still a good player. But I believe in him. (laughs) Yeah. All these bad things, but I believe in David Krejci. I don't know. I have him in one league and there's some really tempting looking free agents. I don't know how much longer I could hold. I'm sure, Brian, you're in that league with me. So you would probably just jump on David Krejci if I drop. And so my loss would be your gain potentially. Well, you can try to trade him to me first. We can see if we can work out a deal so I don't have to spend a transaction on him. All right. Let me know. I, I'm willing to sell low right now. So throw me an offer. Guys, this has been a long podcast. What? Right. We were, I tried to make this shorter. I don't know how this happened. That's all the players I had to talk about. I actually just wanted to throw out really quickly. I don't even need you to respond. Nikolai Ehlers on Winnipeg, you know, we were bummed about him being on line two and he was having a slow start to the season. Apparently, just today, he got back on line one partway through the game playing with Wheeler and Shifley. So that's great for Ehlers. He scored a goal. So if he's been dropped in your league or if we've suggested, yeah, you could probably drop him and pick up someone else. That was because we thought he was not going to be on the top line. As soon as he gets back on the top line, you have to re-add him. I really like him if he's there. Obviously not great for Patrick Laine. So we'll have to see what happens in Winnipeg. But I think if you want to be cautious, Get Ehlers back on your team if you can before it's too late. Yeah, and I'm going to move on to Vancouver where Troy Stetcher has been called up. I think he should have been on the first power play unit from the start with Alex Edler. Last night, he was on the first unit with Philip Larson, which is okay. Not as good as Edler, in my opinion. Larson has done so little with all the time on ice he's been offered. We've talked about it before, but I recently read that the Canucks promised that he would have that role to get him to come play in North America because he'd been having success in the KHL and I guess needed some coaxing. Uh, But Larson is a bottom pairing guy otherwise. Like Q being the power play is the only thing he does for them. And he has been decidedly not good at it. Not to mention his even strength play not being strong either. So let's go back to Troy Stetcher, who impressed in preseason and got called back up. He's looked confident and poised in the three games he's played since that call up playing top four minutes, and he saw four and a half minutes of power play time on ice alongside Philip Larson on Saturday night. Stetcher had no points, but also managed five shots on goal. So that's promising. It'll be interesting to see if he can stick in the lineup 
once Chris Tanev gets back. I think he deserves it. I think he's earned the spot. It's just a matter of whether Vancouver is going to give him the opportunity or they have some other plan in mind. Good, interesting points about Vancouver. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? I'd love for people, by the way, to tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. How do you like this show length? Because we didn't expect for this episode to be that long. Maybe you like it. Maybe it's better. Hey, we're doing a lot of work for you. Okay, before I try to cash in on that, Brian, any other players you want to talk about this week? Okay, I was going to mention Brandon Peary. So I'll just say his name. Power play specialist role right now. Maybe good for a deep ad. Um, Michael Stone, I just want to do a little bit of an about face. I was skeptical about what he could do with Goligoski in the lineup, and he did pretty well, but then he got injured. So that doesn't matter now. We'll see what happens when he returns again to the lineup. And Henrik Lundqvist, apologies to his owners, but don't say we didn't warn you. He has been either awesome or awful. In seven starts this year, three of them have been 929 or higher for his save percentage. Four of them have been 893 or lower no middle ground, no average performances from Henrik Lundqvist this year and more bad ones than good. I expect this sort of thing to continue. Like I think his great starts will outweigh his bad starts still. And of course we'll start seeing some average starts, but this is something that you have to be prepared for as Lundqvist gets older. He's not as reliable and could be the guy blowing up your numbers from time to time. Yeah. Well, and also Rangers are playing today against Tampa Bay they won six to one and it was anti-ranta in net so a great game against Tampa Bay 32 shots against and only one goal against so I wonder if maybe Lungfist keeps struggling maybe Ranta could get a few more starts even just to spell Lungfist I don't think he's gonna like steal the job or anything but yeah if I was a Lungfist owner I wouldn't be too happy right now okay with all of that, I want to thank you all for listening. Like I said, you could tweet at us. Let us know if you liked our show, how you're liking the season so far. We're obviously trying to put a lot of effort into this to make a great season for you guys. And, you know, we appreciate any feedback you can give us. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes. That helps bring some visibility towards our show. And then if you really want to help us out, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson. You could throw Brian or I a beer once a month. At a bar, I guess if you're going to the LCBO, a beer is cheaper than $5. But for $5 a month, you can become a patron of the podcast, support the show that hopefully you like. I guess if you're listening to this part of the show and you've gotten through almost a two-hour Fancy Hockey podcast, you must like the show a little bit. So consider it because you also get some nice perks. You could join our patron-only Facebook group where we're having Fancy Hockey discussions all week long. We also have our monthly patron cast. We just had one, so you could become a patron then listen to the one we did last Tuesday. Lots of fun nuggets there. Brian, let us close this out. I'm going to cue up the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? I will, but I just want to tell everybody, the thousands of people who are wondering what the LCBO could possibly mean, that's the only place where you can buy alcohol in Ontario where this podcast is recorded. Also, I think I was really tired and I just promoted the patron program, but didn't say how people could go <laughs> and sign up. Go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. Okay, I didn't queue up that outro music before because I don't want to have it playing for another extra minute. So let's cue that outro music now. And go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including some of our newest ones, Will, Michael, Michael J, Mike S, Harmon, Yolo Swag, Brad, Phil, another Mike. We, we rank well with Mike's. Uh, Rob and Dakota. Thanks, everybody, for your support. It was researched with help from... Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Korska Hockey, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Reference, Elite Prospects, Hockey Database, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks everyone for joining us. You can catch us all with another live episode next week. Until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sons.